also made false teeth. How's it going, Trina? Hey, Ed. How are you doing this afternoon? Doing all right. Woo! Awesome. I am so happy to be here. It's a beautiful day. This is my favorite thing to do every week. And I'm super excited about the topic today because after our um, Immutables podcast last Sunday, and welcome everybody to the Immutables. I'm Trina Roderick, and I'm here with Ed Ant, who's running the board, the ones and twos. Hello. I didn't. I thought Pam just called it the board, the ones and twos. Okay. Here, here's the what? thing about every time that she calls it the ones and twos. What? The ones and twos are actually those right there. And I'm pointing to the the record players. Well, I figured it had some sort of random reference, but I was listening to a song the other day. I don't mm-hmm. remember what song it was. 
and the one of the, it wasn't a lyric it might have been either a lyric or you know how sometimes they kind of chatter before this but i think it was a lyric somebody blah 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 on the ones and twos and i was like oh pam yeah. knows what she's talking about yeah yeah except like i said the ones and twos are the LP players? Well, I mean, I'm not so I'm not too surprised that it's like a term from back when DJs were less technologically gifted. Technically, they were more technologically gifted because well, okay, nobody yeah. here literally uses the ones and twos. <laughs> no one. Well, it's Pam just the turntables. Yeah, yeah. It's just the turntables. That's the ones and twos. Because nobody has the albums anymore. Like, yeah, I had a hard right enough over time. There. Well, that's true. I had a hard enough time scrapping, putting together a CD. I, I couldn't. Like I, I'm actually kind of sad. Like the first time I put together an iTunes library was when. Anyway, now we are way off the top subject. So we're here today. I want to talk again about the duck face um, selfie photo because I got into again it again with, with bad selfies. It, uh, yeah. Well, you know, the more I think about it. The more that that photo is the perfect um, the perfect instigator for this conversation, uh, and the f the photograph is perfect in just so many ways Re that I can't. Remind me again what this conversation that we have yet to have is. Well, okay. Um, so, like I said, I got into it with Steven Torres, and I want to talk about the conversation in several different respects. Um, and and first, I want to start out because it, it, the, the it sort of devolved into us not quite hating each other. I, I wouldn't say hate, but it it, it got as conversations online. You're not going to make babies with him. Is that what you're trying to say? Well, I mean, it was never that. It was just that it people have a tendency to get real ugly really, really fast. I mean, that's just the way um, we communicate. And, well, I shouldn't say that's just the way we communicate. That's a function of communicating with people that you never think you're going to see again, and it doesn't. You don't really have enough contact with them for the, the these sort of slight social snubs to make a difference. So when I was an attorney, for example, I noticed that when I worked independency, which was a, a job that was regular courtroom work assigned to a regular courtroom with the same judge and the same other attorneys in the courtroom, the same DA every day. Um, there was considerably more kindness and respect. I mean, we still argued. We still held our positions and held our ground and represented our clients. I mean, just because we were kind to each other off the record doesn't mean that we went on the record and, um, you know. Were friendly? You know. That didn't impact our job in any way. In fact, it made it, you know, easier and more pleasant, which is why you do it, you know, just because. And the thing is, with civil litigation, it's considerably different because you have one client in, in a case, you have a, like 40 clients. Like, so let's say, for example, you're a defense attorney and you're juggling 40 clients. You're maybe going to see those attorneys on the other side of those cases again. Maybe not. I mean, some of the bigger, more consistent firms you see can frequently and some you don't and so in those situations when you're up against an attorney and a firm you think you're never going to see again I noticed that um, 
the attorneys tended generally to be nastier and get nastier quick more quickly because there's not quite the same sort of because there's no relationship to right. grab at. Well, and there's no it's there's not only no relationship to grab at, but you're never going to see each other again. So people it's easier Hence to no get ugly, right? Yeah. So I I, I it, it's hard for me not to think that that's sort of what's happening online. I mean, these are people that you don't have to see face to face. These are conversations you're not having face to face, and so it's easy to get ugly fast. What do you yeah, think? It, it's a lot easier to be detached when you don't have to be in front of somebody to tell them something. Yeah. But it's more than just detached. I feel like it's it's the willingness to be, um, you well, know, harsh that, in a way you might that's otherwise. That's the thing. If you're detached from what you're saying, mm-hmm. you can be more malice without thinking about it. It's just yeah. how it works. Yeah. Right. Not that uh, being detached is always a bad thing. It's just, you know, it's part of it. Yeah. It's just different. And and, and, and I guess that's sort of how I think about, um, you know, the way people speak to each other on the Internet now. Um, and and I, I feel really uh, compelled to continue to talk about the, the self-face or the uh, duck face selfie and hate in particular because it's a really, really important concept to understand um, moving forward into the 21st century. Um, I feel like we, sh- we need to absolutely get back, get away from the 1950s um, black and white thinking whereby there was a, a good, you know, good guy that dressed in white and was constant perfection and in contrast to that like i'm thinking of the 1950s westerns you have the bad guy dressed in black and is constantly um the bad guy and those those sort of this is that thinking about people is just too simplistic given the fact that we now interact globally with each other through the internet it's it we need to understand people with greater complexity and i i remember for example like the movies started to demonstrate more complexity um sort uh and definitely like i remember the first time i saw reservoir dogs for example like the quentin tarantino films of the early 90s I, for me, that was the big impact of, of Reservoir Dogs was the fact that all of a sudden we weren't we were looking at the bad guy, not with not with um, animosity, but we were sort of it was this new sort of not necessarily sympathetic approach, but behind the scenes approach that was necessarily um, humanizing because, you know, people are people. So behind the scenes, the guy, you know, the bad guys are going to argue amongst each other. Um, the bad guys are going to, you know, the, the people are people. You know, we only think of people as good and bad in relation to ourselves or our group or our country or our set that we are identifying with at that moment in time. Um, but the people on the other side are people too. Right, but it's but we'll let's get into that. So so I broke down the reasons um, not to 
hate someone just because they express some form of ism like racism or sexism or I mean I think it just I think we need to be um, well let me get into it so there's three separate reasons one reason is that it's um, the best choice for yourself as a person another reason relates to her as a person and then the third category is the reasons related to the world generally and where we're going so let's start with um, the preface to pedagogy of the oppressed because that's that's my jam I so love pedagogy of the oppressed I hate the word pedagogy it basically means teaching kind of thing I, I really freaking hate that word though I mean it basically knows it I, I it's a pretentious word it's totally annoying I I really freaking hate it but it, it basically just means know what to do we don't it, teaching somebody what to do <coughs> so so if so a big part of the problem with overcoming oppression is we don't know how like we don't know what to do to get there what are the steps there's no nobody's gonna lay out a plan we have to figure it out for ourselves um, so I'm gonna read from or do would you like to read from um, pedagogy of the oppressed Not in the particularly I'll read it if you want me to it's only a couple sentences all but right. you have a much better reading voice I as we do as we have all right so um i'm just going to read the first paragraph and the first sentence in the second paragraph i have encountered both in training courses which in the, which analyze the role of conscience and actual experimentation with a truly liberating education, the fear of freedom, discussed in the first chapter of this book. Okay, hold on to it for a second. Well, also read the footnote. So, so um, Fieri uses a, a word to describe um, basically... Uh, well, he, he defines it in, in the footnote. How does he define... How do you spell it again? The Go ahead with the footnote, C -O -N -S -C -I -E -N -T -I -Z -A -C -H. sorry. C-O-N-S-C-I-E-N-T-I-Z-A-C-A-O. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce that. It's a no word in Spanish. It's made up. Huh? Nothing. What? That's the problem I have with reading is that you don't ever have to verbalize it. And so you just recognize the word, but you never really, if you never verbalize it, it makes... The reading. term refers to learning to perceive social, political, and economic contradictions and to take action against the oppressive elements of reality. Okay. So I feel like one of the things that happened with Stephen and I um, is that he hates dead air. Well, no, sorry. He hates anti-Semitism, which I understand. Um, all right. So Stephen said. 
Well, my my I posted it. My initial comment was, I love this photo, but I hate anti-Semitism more. This Sunday, Yuri will be on the podcast to discuss, and Allie will be on be our guest um, during the Just Me and Chicks with Ed Ant Hour on Meet Me Radio. Um, Stephen Torres, who actually uh, is an L.A. comic, I, he was here recently in San Francisco. I don't remember why. Maybe the festival. Um, but I first, I first remember seeing Stephen perform at a place called the Spot in L.A. So the Spot is like a is a coffee shop that basically does a joke workshop on Saturday afternoons, but because it's in L.A., it's in in the coffee shop is 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 the size or the, they have this room in the back of the coffee shop that's basically the size of the the Mutiny Radio, um, at least the portion with the audience and the stage. That's super, super hot every freaking se- It's L.A., and it's in this really freaking hot box with a, basically a joke workshop that's actually pretty well attended. Um, so Stephen responded and said, this girl has level 10 anti-Semitic sentiment. I said, well, she also seems to be surrounded by level 10 anti-Muslim sentiment in an apparent contradiction. Shouldn't we discuss that? No. He says, I'm sorry. I just don't pay attention to people that say Hitler didn't hate the Jews because he didn't kill them all. And that was a heinous, heinous comment that she made. Um, and I, but I feel like what ha- what's happening with Stephen is this. Um, it says... You know, we learn to perceive social, political, and economic contradictions and to take action against oppressive elements of reality. And that's something that we are very keen on doing in the 21st century, right? Um, Stephen has recognized that, uh, you know, he's good at perceiving social, political, and economic contradictions, and he's identified her and her, and her anti-Semitism as one of those um, political, social contradictions. And he has taken his his strategy is to take action by what he says is, I just I don't pay attention to people that blah blah blah. blah. So his r- response is, well, we're going to respond by not paying attention to them. Well, that's that I feel like speaks to her, and part of the reason we shouldn't hate her is because not paying attention to her is not going to solve the problem. And um, to the extent that it's true that if you're you're either part of the problem or part of the solution, and if you just turn a blind eye to like if that's the strategy we just ignore, then it's not going to be, there's no way we are going to bring her to a better place. We're, ne- we're never gonna be able to educate her out of her anti-Semitism. Um, we're making the false assumption that she, or potentially could be making the false assumption that she can't change or doesn't wanna change. Um, 
And I don't think that's true. I think it is possible for to her to learn and grow. And I, and I certainly don't want to make the assumption that it's not possible. And if it is possible, then I know hating her is going to make it impossible. There's no way she's ever going to listen to someone that hates her, even if their reason for hating her um, is justified, because there are good parts of her too. And if at some point in the future she comes to the place where she understands that she was wrong, then she's going to be in a better place. But she's why would she ever hate or why would she ever accept someone who hated her while she was wrong? Does that make any sense? Like, why? Well, why would she ever? Right, like when somebody hates you, it closes dialogue. It makes it impossible to um, reach a better place with them. So um, in chapter two, for example, Fieri says, uh, dialogue cannot exist without humanity. The naming of the world through which men constantly recreate the world cannot be an act of arrogance, right? Um, dialogue as an encounter of men addressed to the common task of learning and acting is broken off if the parties or one of them lacks humility, right? Like if somebody hates you, why would you talk to them? Good question. We, you wouldn't want to, right? No, most people don't. I mean, most, if some, most people respond in kind in relationships. If you bring, if you, if you, hate them they are gonna hate you back that's that's the general that's that can be that's a generally reasonably expected i think response um, um, except in the case of crazy stalkers you know they're that's one-sided love isn't it yeah yeah but i that's what i mean by general and of course there's always the exceptions um like your parents yeah. How could they ever really love you if they know that you're just going to go away? Hmm. How, Trina? How? Don't answer that. That's parents is a complex. That's a whole can of worms. Mm. Yeah. They want to get into parents can of worms. I can do that at the end. Um, but I also brought a book by um, Zunzi, which is a an ancient Chinese philosopher, and I want to rename the the word that Fieri uses and 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 frame the way he says. Um, you know, he wants to create a term and does create a term for learning to perceive social, political, and economic contradiction and to take action against the oppressive elements of reality. I absolutely think we should do that. And I agree that we should all continue to attempt to learn to perceive the social and political contradictions and to take action against those oppressive elements. My disagreement with Stephen and my disagreement with generally hating haters is that hating them is not an action against that type of oppression that's going to work. It's going to be counterproductive. And I know that's counterintuitive because we, we need that emotion of hate. And it comes from the, I think, more 
it doesn't come from the thinking part of the brain. I think it comes from the part of the brain that's either mammalian or limbic in that it, it's, it's a, a very good warning for us. You know, it's clearly being anti-Semitic is dangerous and bad and our, it's important for us to believe that and feel that way, but it's also important for us not to dwell on the hate overly, right? Like if that's all we do, if we allow the hate to consume us and we don't put that hate in check, that's also going to overtake us and it's going to be, we're going to then be out of balance. So I'm not suggesting we get rid of hate altogether. I'm not suggesting that we don't ever hate anybody or we don't ever pay attention to that emotion when it comes up for us. What I'm saying is that we recognize it and acknowledge it, and then we can also rationally understand that we need to be careful and to take appropriate action against that particular oppressive element and I'm suggesting that hate is not appropriate for a myriad of reasons that we're going through today but one of those reasons is that it's bad for us individually to spend that much time dwelling on a on a destructive emotion it's like eating too much junk food um, and again, I'm not suggesting that you, we never feel that feeling. I'm suggesting we put it in its proper place, give it a proper balance and contextualization. Um, in Shinji, and when I actually, the first time I taught this, I disagreed with this with my students. Um, X-U-N-Z-I, I'm reading from Basic Writings, um, which was um, translated by Burton Watson. Um, man's nature is evil. Goodness is the result of conscious activity. The nature of man is such that he is born with a fondness for profit. If he indulges this fondness, it will lead him into wrangling and strife, and all sense of courtesy and humility will disappear. He is born with feelings of envy and hate, and if he indulges in these, they will lead him into violence and crime and all sense of loyalty and good faith will disappear. So for our own personal well-being, it's important to keep that hate in check. Um, and the reason it's important, in addition to the, the reason, I mean, just the effectiveness, effectiveness of it if we overindulge in it, and if you want to just generally be a successful person, I would strongly recommend not overindulging in hate. I agree with Shinzi on that point, and part of the reason for that is that if you take a group and you, and you, and you believe that, um, like, like she's done. I mean, what's wrong with her anti-Semitism is that she hates an, an entire group. I, I don't know the reasons for her hating an entire group, 
but certainly there are probably some members within that group like every group that are deserving of her hate and others are not and it's it's unfair and unjust um and just plain ignorant obviously to hate an entire group of people based on something like race um so she's taken a set of people and hated both the good and the bad in that set and what'll happen if you if you apply the zunzi conscious activity and you work on tempering that hate and replacing those feelings of hate with positive emotions like love or gratitude and again i'm not saying never register hate i'm just saying pull it back significantly um then you will apply that same philosophy to the thoughts that you have about yourself. Um, because generally what people tend to do, and I would bet um, Stephen falls into this category based on my experience meeting him, is, this, is that we ourselves also engage in uh, self-talk and self-hate that if we... If we apply that sort of checking and balancing to other people, then that will automatically apply that same balancing and checking to our own self-talk and we'll become happier, more balanced people personally. So it's, a, it's an amazing trick. All you have to do is just not hate on other people Put that in balance and you won't hate on yourself, which then has this miraculous effect of making you a more successful person. Okay. So let me let me talk about then transitioning on to one of the reasons not to hate her is that what effect does hating her have on her? For us anyway. Like maybe if I was her next door neighbor, that might make a difference, but I live in a completely different country. She doesn't even know Stephen and I had this conversation. She doesn't know how I'm having this conversation now. She doesn't know hate, Stephen hates her. He's, he's engaging in a destructive emotion or an overindulging in a destructive destruction. And it, has, it doesn't even destroy her. It only destroys him. Right? And I can understand why hate is super, super dangerous. Like, none of us want to be on that slippery slope, right? Obviously, in the 20th century, we know that anti-Semitism is dangerously um, close to, to, us, to leading to the, the genocide that we saw in World War II. And nobody, nobody wants that. We need to guard against that. And again, that's why it's okay to register the emotion of hate. We just need to pull it back and temper it. And I want to know, like, like, why? Like, what does it do for her, right? Like, how it doesn't impact her at all. So to the extent that she doesn't even know she's being hated is yet another reason it's not going to be effective in, in making a difference. Um, and what's the, the essence? I, I could have sworn that she took that duck face selfie in front of anti-Islamists because they hated her. Well, you know what? Right. 
Right. Right. But that's what I'm saying. Like, what does us hating her do? Like, we don't hate her. I mean, we or or or, or Stephen hating her. Like, it's the point is, she sought out a group of people that hated her, got in front of them, and did a duck face selfie, just to put a cherry on top of douchebaggery. What do you mean, just to put a cherry on top of douchebaggery? I, I mean, mean the f- I do didn't. You, do you go around uh, looking for uh, black supremacist groups that actively hate white people? And well, how do you know? I mean, so, 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 so you're saying, like, she wasn't. <coughs> I'm saying that those people carried signs. Yeah. That were anti-Muslim. Right. No, there's, there's, unless if she didn't know how to read. You wouldn't want to respond to like if there were, if there were signs. Okay, I mean, well, you would. Let me put it this way: if there was a Klan rally marching down that street over there, right? I would not be going towards them. But there are lots of people in San Francisco who would. There are a lot of crazy people in San Francisco, Trina. They're not all crazy. A lot of them are. Yeah. Okay, but what's your point? My point is, uh, she did it for attention, and now we've been talking about it for two weeks when I was bored after the first one. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you don't have to be here. I'm sorry that this is boring. <laughs> it's, it's just so important. Uh. And, you know, the photo I posted is not her selfie. I did not post her selfie. You understand that, right? The photo that went around is not her selfie. She was in it though, right? Yeah, somebody else took the photo. They took a photo of her taking a selfie. It's not her selfie. They took a photo of her taking a selfie. It's not her photo. That only makes it twice as stupid. Not at all. No. Taking a selfie in front of people that hate you. And then doing the duck face. Why is that bad? Just seems a little weird. I mean, Why? Why would it be bad to challenge in that way um, an anti-Muslim group or well, anti-anything group? Because if they're anti-you and you're small and frail, it doesn't sound like that great of an idea to be in front of them. So it's dangerous for her. Yeah, yeah. She, she was basically taunting them into doing violent acts. She wasn't. No, I don't think that's a fair representation of what she was doing. Taking a duck face selfie in front of an anti-Islamic group as an Islamic lady. Is not a taunt to violence, no. I don't think that would be legally considered a violent taunt. Yeah, I'm not sure what is considered a legal taunt. Well... You know, I've read some cases about it. I've taken some courses. It's been a long, long time. But I think that like the legal phrase is inciting a riot. Obviously, she's not trying to incite a riot. But, but I don't know. You think she was trying I, to I, incite I, I, a riot or just violence? I don't think you know what duck face is meant to do. I mean, think, think about it. The only people that do duck face photos are ladies trying to look beautiful. Right? Am I right? No, that's like pouty face. Yeah, pouty face is duck face. No, duck face is like, no, it's not kissy. It's totally kissy. It is not. Look it up. I've seen the photo. I've looked at it a gazillion times. She's not doing a kissy face. Yeah, because it's called duck face when you do it for a selfie alone. Think about it, Trina. 
So she's kissing herself. So she's doing a kissy face to herself, and you the think that is it aimed the at the inciting term, riot or violence? The technical term is duck face, and nobody likes duck face. Okay, I get you, but you've, you've explained that a duck face is what, like a kissy face? And you think a kissy I, I feel, face at herself I feel is you're playing how word games. And I just, you know, what you're that. telling me doesn't. I'm trying to make sense of what you're telling me, and what you're telling me is it sh it's a kissy face, no? Duck face. Okay, so duck face is not a fuck you face. I think any time that you get in front of people that hate you and you're trying to do a fuck you face. You're, you're kind of tempting fate there. You know, am, am I wrong? I, I think so. It depends on the circumstances. Uh, I mean, if they've got sticks raised, but uh, she didn't look very close to them. She looked like she was a safe distance. I mean, they don't have guns or any weapons that I see. Yeah. It doesn't yeah, look yeah, to me yeah, like yeah. she's inciting. Since it depends on how many other people are around her. I mean, if she's alone. Since when do mobs need weapons to be violent, Trina? Since when? Okay, but we're talking about why not to hate her. And I don't think that her decision to put herself in danger is a good enough reason to hate her and to engage in that destructive emotion that's counter to our own well-being. It doesn't seem to me to be worth sacrificing our own well-being to hate her. No matter what she I mean based no matter how I mean we're gonna have to I'm gonna have to hear something kind of way out there to think that it would be worth that destructive emotion mm. even then I think it would be unlikely I mean because what is her ignorance her ignorance is that she's making false assumptions about Jewish people I would assume right that's part of it mm. ne false negative assumptions I don't feel like I've satisfied you with my answer. No. We're just. I, 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 well, I feel like you. I feel like you're prejudiced against her because she's anti-Semitic. No, I'm prejudiced against her, her because she's ma taking duck face selfies. So it's everybody who takes duck face selfies, or more like everybody who takes dumb pictures in dumb places. Yeah, that that that's that's pretty much it. I mean, if somebody took a duck face selfie in front of a, a an active volcano, I'd be, I wouldn't want to listen to stories about them either. Well, the thing is, I feel like we need to help people understand how to take action against oppression. And so you're suggesting um, that taking a duck face selfie at a anti-you protest is not the appropriate action. So what action would you suggest that's appropriate under those circumstances? I don't know. Maybe not trying to interact with them in a way that makes you come off as a superior to them b like you don't really give a shit about them at all when it, they're a group that's opposed to you or but i, I, I mean I, I, that's I, what i, I thought we were, everyone was I arguing with me about i'm i felt like everyone was like you know basically i think that's that what we're supposed to do to her I, I, I feel that right? trying to frame the story like okay. she's a hero or a champion when she's just somebody who took a shitty selfie. Okay. Well, let's talk about the hero or champion issue. I, I, I don't think she's a hero. I think 
she is an anti-Semite who's dealing with anti uh, Muslim protesters is what I think, and I do, think do, she's. Do, do you spend two weeks talking about an anti-hero? Oh, we're going to spend a lot more time than two weeks. I wouldn't come ah. next week if you don't want to talk about this with me again. <laughs> so, here's the thing. She is. We don't know anything about her. We're making lots of assumptions about her by hating her. We don't know why she hates Jewish people. I'm not, I'm not suggesting there's ever a, a okay reason, but if so, let's say for example, um, she was uh, gang raped by Jewish men. Would that, how would you feel about her then? Would you, how would you feel about her hate and her actions if you found out that that was true about her? I would feel that I've spent way too much time figuring things out about her. Okay, well, if you hadn't spent any time trying to figure things out about her and you had just found out, like, like if, if, I, if you found out she was, that that was true, just like you found out that she was an anti-Semite, how, how would that change your opinion of her? I, I, I feel you're missing the point. I, I, I don't really want to think about this person any longer. Okay, <laughs> then how about yeah. I just talk and, and do what I've prepared? Okay, yeah, all right, let, let me stop, uh, stop, stop stopping you then. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind engaging with you, and but I'm going to argue with you. Whatever you tell me, I'm going to argue it. Yeah. I mean, I'm an attorney. I, that's what I'm here to do is argue. I'm gonna go take the lead. Okay. Um, so, I think it's important for us to be careful about making assumptions about other people. I mean, we're if 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 we choose to hate her because she hates other people, um, without knowing why she hates other people, I I feel like we're making we might be making a mistake in our assumptions about her, just like we think she's making an as a mistake about uh, her, her assumptions about Jewish people. So again, I'm not suggesting that what we do is that we accept her anti-Semitism, not at all. We hate her anti-Semitism, we just don't hate her. We keep her anti-Semitism in check and we are careful not to hate the good with the bad. Um, and again, when I, I think that what we do is we use um, her dilemma. So we don't even have to assume that she is dealing with the same sort of anti Muslim sentiment that she employs herself. So how do we know then that she um, wasn't so influenced by this philosophy? Let's go back to Fieri. One of the basic elements of the relationship between the oppressor and oppressed is prescription. Every prescription represents the imposition of one man's choice upon another, transforming the consciousness of the man 
prescribed into one that conforms with the prescriber's consciousness. Thus, the behavior of the oppressed is a prescribed behavior following as it does the guidelines of the oppressor. So at this point, what we know about her oppressor, to the extent that we are aware that she's dealing with anti-Muslim oppression, we know that her oppressor is um, employing this common um, anti-your-group logic whereby our group is all good and your group is all bad. And so she's resisting that. She's saying no. Um, my group isn't all bad. You're not seeing the good in our group. I'm very well aware of the good in our group and probably turning a blind eye to the bad. And so if we are dealing, she's saying to herself, you know, at least at a minimum, if, if we employ the logic of one group all good, one group all bad, then my group, Muslims, are not the group that's all bad. Um, and that, And if we... If we only see things as black and white in that way, and my group is um, not all bad because it's at least partially good, if not all good, then you're the group that's all bad. I mean, it's the logic is the logic. And so we have to get away from the logic, get away from the principle, and understand that no one person and no one group is all either good or bad. But we can understand that she is potentially at a minimum trapped in that logic. I'm gonna read from Vietti again. Um, to surmount the situation of oppression, men must first critically recognize its causes so that through transforming action, they can create a new situation, one which makes possible the pursuit of a fuller humanity. And that is actually not at all what I wanted to read. I, sorry, to, to the wrong place. I mean, we can talk about that. I mean, that's a great sentence. Um, but she has to recognize the causes of oppression. And I'm suggesting that one of the causes of oppression is this binary thinking whereby one group is all bad and one group is all good, right? So one of the things that we have to get rid of is the cause. And if, to the extent that that's a cause, if us hating her and all of her, just like she hates um, the Jews and all of the Jews, it's the same logic. It's just a different set. It's either a set of people or a set of cells. It's still a set. And we're not going to hate the entire set if there's good and bad mixed in with the set. And obviously, if there's all bad in the set, also not worthy of hate. Um, but the point is that it's really, really common in struggling to overcome oppression. And if she's taking a duck face selfie at an anti-Muslim rally, she's obviously struggling to overcome oppression. So it's common for oppressors to as they or excuse me the oppressed as they work through their oppression to become uh, what Fieri calls sub-oppressors
but almost always during the initial stage, I'm sorry, I'm reading from Pietti again, but almost always during the initial stage of the struggle, the oppressed, instead of striving for liberation, tend themselves to become oppressors or sub-oppressors. The very structure of their thought has been conditioned by the contradictions of the concrete existential situation by which they are shaped. So she is shaped by an contradiction of concrete ex her concrete existential situation which is anti-group so she's struggling to f overcome her the oppression imposed upon her group and in doing that she's becoming a sub-oppressor she's becoming a, her own oppressor of a different group her group is oppressed and so she's reacting to that by a group by oppressing another group, and that is not the appropriate reaction to oppression. So first, learning, to, you know, going back to conscious activity, learning to perceive the social, political, and economic contradictions and to take action against the uh, oppressive elements of reality, you know, it's important for us to get those actions right. And it's difficult for us to get those actions right because we don't know what actions to take. That's the whole problem. We don't know what to do. What do we do? Nobody knows. That's the problem. There is no pedagogy. There is no A, first A, then B, then C. So, I feel, let's see. Also, if you're, if you're hating, let's see, hating is an attempt usually to take action. It's our body's knee-jerk response to oppression. But it's, again, not the action that is going to be effective. the only thing that's going to be effective is an act of love. So I'm going to turn to Fieri again and read from Fieri. The oppressor is in solidarity with the oppressed only when he stops regarding the oppressed as an abstract category and sees them as persons who have been unjustly dealt with, deprived of their voice, cheated in their sale of labor when he stops making pious, sentimental, and individualistic gestures and risks an act of love. True solidarity, solidarity is found only in the plentitude of this act of love. In its existentiality, it is a praxis. To affirm that men are persons and as persons should be free and yet do nothing tangible to make this affirmation a reality is a farce. So in other words, sitting home and doing nothing is a farce if you want to spout out that men are persons and as persons should be free. So at least she's attempting to do something. I'm not suggesting that her attempt isn't flawed. And instead, um, we're going to be reading in chapter two of Fieri that what we have to do is expect 
these actions to be flawed. There, because there is no pedagogy, because we don't know what to do, we are going to stumble and fall and we need to expect that. We absolutely cannot expect to always get it right and to get it right the first time. We are not computers. The opposite of hate is not a concert, an, uh, not, it can't be an act in concert with oppression. So to the extent that oppression and hate are really commonly associated, I mean, hate really quickly leads to oppression. So we have to be careful that we also in that hate do not become sub-oppressors. I feel like it seems so clear that anti-Semitism is wrong and that we shouldn't um, support anti-Semitism. And of course, there's, that's absolutely true. But that type of hate, that level 10 hate, is in concert. It's consistent with oppression. Oppressors are hateful. So we need to be careful and particularly suspect of action that is taken that's in concert, consistent with oppression. So why not take action as it relates to her rather than by ignoring her um, by trying to educate her. I mean, it might not work, but at least it's an action that has a chance. Ignoring her has no chance. Hating her has even less chance. And also, how do we know that the act itself, like how do we know that as she makes these attempts, to challenge the oppression that she is struggling with, how do we know that that in and of itself will not educate her out of her anti-Semitism? Right? Like, as she engages in becoming a more fully conscious person through challenging oppression she very well may come to the conclusion on her own that anti-Semitism is bad. I mean, getting back to um, my question posed to um, Ed earlier, we don't know why she's anti-Semitic. Maybe she's completely and totally surrounded by anti-Semites. Maybe she goes to a mosque with a, an anti-Semitic leader. I mean, I, I can make any number of assumptions about her, good or bad, but I think it's dangerous to make assumptions and then use those assumptions to engage in a very destructive emotion like hate. I mean, we better be getting it right when we hate people. Just, I mean, oh God, I mean, then you're no better than her. I mean, if you make bullshit assumptions about her, if you get her really, really wrong, then you're no better than her if you hate her. 
right? Like what we don't like about what she's doing is that she's making um, false, false negative assumptions about people that the likely, you know, potentially in an exception proves the rule kind of logic. We don't know. But if we apply compassion, if we, can, if we take her dilemma into account, I'm going to read from Fieri again. The oppressed suffer from the duality which has established itself in their innermost being. They discover that without freedom, they cannot exist authentically. Yet, although they desire, desire authentic existence, they fear it. They are at one and at the same time the themselves and the oppressor whose contradictions they have internalized. So I'm suggesting, you know, we, we can, instead of assuming that she's just making this ridiculously ignorant choice to be um, anti-Semitic in the face of no particular context for that. Um, I mean, I, 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 at a minimum, she's internalizing conflict. I mean, that is a conflicted position. We can all agree on that. I mean, I mean, I was challenged by Yuri in that, you know, she's a hypocrite. Absolutely. But the problem is we're all hypocrites. Like we all use trash, like it's going out of style. I mean, the future generations are going to think we're, we were ridiculously hypocritical by saying we support the environment and yet consuming so much trash. Um, and so we all fall, can easily fall into that hypocritical, you know, turning a blind eye to our own actions that are inconsistent with our beliefs. So she's clearly internalizing this inconsistency. The conflict lies in the choice between being wholly themselves or being divided, be ejecting the oppressor within or not ejecting him, between hum human solidarity or alienation, between following prescriptions or having choices, between being spectators or actors, between acting or having the illusion of acting through the action of the oppressors, between speaking out or being silent, castrated in their power to create and recreate in their power to transform the world. This is the tragic dilemma of the oppressed, which their education must take into account. So what I'm suggesting is that we take this into account, not to accept her anti-Semitism. We would never, ever do that. We always reject the anti-Semitism, but we never reject her. So we, re we, we inform our hate, we apply reason to our hate, we think about all the reasons that it's, it's not a good idea to indulge and engage in that highly personally destructive emotion of hate, and we do that, we pull that back by rationalizing, well, She's clearly in this tragic dilemma, and let's take that into account when we decide not to hate her. So Sunzi again. When we see good, then diligently, this is in um, chapter two of 
the ancient Chinese philosopher Zunzi, which I have a really hard time pronouncing because it's spelled X-U-N-Z-I, basic writings. Uh, chapter 2. When you see good, then diligently examine your own behavior. When you see evil, then with sorrow look into yourself. When you find good in yourself, steadfastly improve, approve it. When you find evil in yourself, hate it as something loathsome. He who comes to you with censure is your teacher. He co who comes to you with approbation is your friend. He who flatters you is your enemy. Therefore, the gentleman honors as his teacher, draws close as his friends, but heartily hates his enemies. He loves good untiringly and can accept reprimand and take warning from it. Therefore, though he may have no particular wish to advance, how can he not help but do so? Right? So what we need to do, we need to employ this conscious activity. When we see parts of ourselves that are good, we need to dwell on those. We need to look upon the parts of ourselves that are bad with sorrow, just like we look on her with sorrow. I mean, let's be sorrowful for the anti-Semitism, be hyper-vigilant about controlling that so that it doesn't get out of hand and engage in the conscious activity I'm sorry not the conscious activity engage in the attempt to engage in the transforming action of doing something about it instead of just writing her off as hopeless let's maintain our hope and try to figure out a way to overcome her anti-semitism rather than just again assuming that it's an unchangeable position of hers we all get to be wrong sometimes Stephen's wrong it happens um let's see let's go back to the conversation with Stephen though So one of the things he said that I thought was funny was that um, I had initially been frustrated because he, he, he said that, you know, he made that comment that I've heard people say before, which is, well, you know, n now, now I know, you know, which one, ones of my friends research the memes and which one of my friends just forward memes without researching them. And I said to him, I could have been nicer. I should have been nicer. I was a little bit too upset at first. Um, I said, are you kidding? Who has time to research every meme? I'm not like this. Facebook is not, I'm not, I'm not, uh, um, oh my God, you guys, I'm so sorry. I had my phone out to look at the freaking um, comment from Steve and I got a bunch of um, texts and that totally just threw me off. So I am so sorry that just happened and now I'm thrown off. Um, So I had said, look, this is Facebook. This is not the venue. I'm not a, I'm not a journalist. 
I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. If you, if what you need from me is a disclaimer on my Facebook page that says none of these memes have been independently researched by me, and you should take them as such, that seems fair. I, I don't. I mean, it's Facebook. This isn't a newspaper. I'm not posting. I'm not a newspaper. I, I you know, my what I posted at the top. It's not her selfie. Again, it's a photograph of her taking a selfie of herself, but it's not her selfie. And at the top, it says, Epic Troll, when you stop at the at an anti-Muslim ra- rally for a selfie. Right? I mean, I, th- I think that that is an appropriate action to take against oppressive elements of society. And I think we are desperate for our pedagogy. We are desperate for an action plan. Nobody has that. So, so let's, I think it's important to emphasize what we can do that's appropriate and safe and nonviolent. And I disagree that this is an invitation to violence. I, that doesn't seem like a fair representation of just taking a photograph. I mean, that's been one of the nice things about the advances in um, technology. Let's see. But I still don't have time to research all of it. And, And I don't think it's fair to expect that of me. And I think, you know, it's, it's it, I just, I don't get it. I don't think that's what's, what it's really about for um, Stephen. I think it's really about something else. But I thought it was funny then at the end of the thread, he says to me, because I quoted him, Zunzi, I mean, excuse me, Fieri, of course and tried to make my case for not hating her and why we shouldn't hate her. Um, But I, like, I just, look, when you're arguing with somebody, don't make assumptions. If you don't know something for sure is true, I wouldn't try to blast somebody in an argument with that false, with that assumption, because you just, you look ridiculous. So one of the things Steven said to me was, well, you know, you claim you don't have time to research these memes, but then you ran around doing all these, all this research to prove your point. Well, no. I didn't. I didn't do any, I didn't run around doing any research. It's, I got up off my couch, went to my purse, pulled my copy of Pedagogy of the Oppressed out of my purse, sat back down on the couch, and then spit out the quote. I mean, I, I just, like, just, just for him to just engage in that kind of, anyway, all right. So just that's just my tip to you. When you're arguing with somebody, don't make assumptions about them. Like, for example, don't assume that they had to do some research to be intelligent. So we are going to take a 10-minute break for the breaker, and um, we will get back to you um, soon.
around the world with Buell's passionate and down-to-earth delivery. In an age of personal music delivery systems, J.D. Buell carries on the values of progressive FM radio when a listener could actually have a relationship with a programmer, someone who would create an eclectic musical environment wherein both listener and host find fulfillment. The Morning Train with J.D. Buell, Wednesday, 10 to noon on mutinyradio.fm. Freeform Radio for free minds. in underground space for an event? Look no further than mutinyradio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsadai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event now. Trying to hurt me, but boy, how it burns me whenever she touched me. And oh, I feel so lucky. Well, hey there, San Francisco. If you're looking for some delicious late-night food, I suggest you mosey on down to Bender's Bar. Inside, you can find counter-offer, and my offering you amazing late-night food and snacks. Try the chicken biscuit. It's like your stomach's in a tasty tornado. They have exceptionally great daily ground sustainable burgers with sides of tater tots, grilled asparagus, and delicious zucchini and creamy-licious mac and cheese. You like tacos? They get them! And from the specials, very deep fried fish sandwich to a stoner burger with a donut bun. What are those crazy potheads gonna come up with next? Go to the counter offer inside of Brenda's Bar at 800 South Van Ness Avenue, San Francisco. It's located between 19th Street and 20th Street in the Mission District. Open seven nights a week from 5 to 10 p.m. or later. Counter offer, son! and live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. Run! 
Oh, happy hour. What could be happier than 23 comics doing jokes for each other and at a radio listening audience? Puppets, kittens, unicorns, porn maybe? Oh, well, stage time makes them happy and this super happy comedy open mic is open every Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. But you can also listen anytime by downloading the podcast at Meet New Radio FM Index at podcasts. PCRcollective.org. So come live or listen later or to every happy hour mic Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. at Radio FL Mutiny Radio. I just fucked that up again. What the fuck is wrong with me? Yeah! I got it. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Well, shoot. From time to time, I've given it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo!
at the studio and I don't hear anything coming out of the um, speakers. I turned it up, turned everything on, and I'm looking here, you know, at iTunes and it is playing and the volume's up. Um, I don't see a signal going out. I don't see any any of the um, uh, levels moving. No, it's on. It's it's, it's reading the time, so that's good. Um, Well, I'm looking at the monitor, and it is, it is playing. Like, I see the time going, right? It's like 31 minutes and 13 seconds. Then I'm looking at the submixer. Um, channel 3 and Channel 4 are up. The master is up. But there's no there's no um, levels moving. There's no colors bouncing or anything. Uh, that's weird, right? Uh, the volume button's all the way up there. Now on the computer, it's up all the way too. So now what I'm going to do is put my a song on my computer on the other channel. Oh wait, now I'm hearing it. Oh wait a minute, I'm hearing my, yeah.
Greetings from the Far Corners, and welcome to the Far Corners 